This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Welcome to the podcast Secrets of the North, a podcast about true crime in Northern BC. I'm your host, Emily Gallen. And I'm the co-host, Spencer Hall. Our podcast may contain mature content, and it definitely will this episode, so get ready, it does get a little dark, so listener discretion is advised. Hey Spencer, how's it going? Oh, you know, living the dream. As you do, as you do, I've got some updates for you. I love updates. I love updating you. I love being updated by you. I love it when I update you and that you love when I'm updating you about it. Well, maybe you should update me then. I'm going to do it. Okay. Well, we did that comic book killers episode a mm. while back. First one, if, if I do recall myself. I like that it's episode four and you're already losing track of what we've done. I, I literally have no idea. It's probably Wednesday. But <laughs> anyways, uh, we had a listener update us on the Comic Book Killers episode. Ooh. Yeah, she actually gave the episode to her uncle to listen to who had lived there at the time of the crime. And he had some pretty cool things to say about it. And not even that, but didn't she email again? She did. Uh, so Susan uh, enjoyed that episode as well. So thank you for your kind words. She also believes that uh, she knows uh, the Mr. Big Fellow on the plane that you met. No way. Yeah. So around 1986, there was an undercover officer in a hundred mile house who she believes she saw in a dental office. She says he had brilliant, brilliant blue eyes and did like to talk, Ooh. which if this is the same guy, I'm sorry, sir, you are not a very good undercover cop. <laughs> No, the worst, but I mean with those eyes. But what also else the best. Yeah. His eyes had secrets, but his mouth had none. Mm. And great year, 1986. That's when I was born. I was not. I love that year for me, but not for you because you were not here yet. I was, you know, I was getting there. And did we mention yet that we know somebody who knew the officer that pulled over Jesus and Fort Nelson in... I think the first or second episode. I don't believe we mentioned it, but it is absolutely 100% my boss who knows oh, the guy who pulled it. over Jesus. Yes. My boss is also somebody who informed me that Kill Karen is near Dawson Creek and mm. also informed me that I could have Googled that. And mm. you know what? I could have, but I didn't. No, we just wanted to enjoy not knowing. I am so sorry to the residents of Kill Karen. We'll, you know what? We'll do better. All five of them. Very wow. upset. We're, uh, you know what? From after Emily started that statement, that's when we're going to start being better. Um, anyway, there's been also quite a few things going on in the north. Uh, well, just the peace region generally. Uh, mm-hmm. There was that shooting on October 9th. So major crimes, uh, major district crimes came in. Yep. So that is being looked at right now. Yeah, I believe online at any of the local news stations. The only one that matters, though, is Energetic City. I can neither that. confirm nor deny. Uh, okay. And, if, yeah. Uh, so, you know what? where we're going to go? Where are we going to go now? We're going to go to Wine Corner. That is undoubtedly my favorite corner so far. Even better than Crime Corner? I, they go so well together. They do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, right now, we're drinking uh, Mirtillo. It's a blueberry wine from Northern Lights Estate Winery, uh, and it is quite delicious i enjoy it mm, let me take a little smell it's oh very, yeah it's very blueberry-y mm-hmm. it's like got a little finish at the end of the blueberry yeah 
And right. you can even buy this online at www.northernlightswinery.ca, Spencer, just so you know. Oh, good. Yeah, just I might casually buy it. if you wanted to do yeah. it. No, that's how people talk about wine in their own homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a medium-bodied wine, and uh, it has some subtle vanilla notes, which I'm really enjoying. It's kind of like drinking like a blueberry pie. We should probably do a disclaimer that this wine will get you fucked up. Which we learned, didn't we? We learned that last time we tried to record an episode. We, uh, we pulled a Moira Rose, actually. Hundred percent. Went to go record an episode. Uh, thought that we could do two wine tastings at one time. No. We cannot. Um, so, yeah, uh, that is also a really great selling point. So, thank you so much to Northern Lights Estates Winery. Drink responsibly, folks. Mm-hmm. So that's important. Um, okay. Well, take me to my second favorite corner, Paradise City Crime Corner. So, Crime Corner. Crime Corner. The fourth edition. Really? It is. Well, it's the fourth episode. Oh. Well, I guess it's the fifth one, technically. If we, well, no, we're not counting the non-episode. No. All right. What's well, the fourth edition of Crime Corner? I love Crime Corner. Get ready. A giant inflatable beer can stolen from Dawson Creek Exhibition Grounds. Oh, might be my favorite one yet. Keep oh. going. All right. So this was in August of 2021. Okay. That's recent. Yeah. The Dawson Creek Exhibition Association says its giant inflatable beer can has been stolen. The inflatable Coors Banquet was last seen at the exhibition grounds last weekend in the beer gardens. The can was reportedly deflated and tied down during the time it was stolen. The association believed that the can was stolen between 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. on August 15th. They had a great night. Whoever did this, you can just tell that they were having a great night. I mean, the only thing that upsets me is that they deflated the beer can while they were stealing it. If you're going to steal the inflatable beer can... They took the easy way out. I mean, amateur. Mm-hmm. All right. So less than a week later, stolen giant inflatable beer can has been returned. Oh, so, why would they bring it back? Uh, well, actually, Coors took it upon themselves to go on their Instagram. So Coors Canada okay. then posted a, essentially it was like a missing poster. Oh, uh, And I like it because it just says missing in large caps. A very large, very large is underlined, Coors Original Inflatable has gone missing from the Dawson Creek exhibition. Can you help us find it? Can you? Uh, I didn't actually have to. Beer can. (laughs) can. Um, All right. So the giant stolen beer can stolen from the Dawson Creek exhibition grounds was returned after the organization threatened to turn the thieves in Mm. because they did have uh, video surveillance. So uh, they went. They took to Facebook saying that they had surveillance footage of three men stealing the Coors inflata- uh, Inflatable on August 15th, uh, and they were going to give the footage to the RCMP if the can wasn't brought back within two days, uh, and I guess the can was brought back nice. uh, the next day. Um, a harmless. A little yeah. harmless fun with a couple men in their mid-30s. Mm, well, actually, I don't know that, but I didn't see the footage, and neither did the RCMP. Oh, <laughs> that's so all that matters. They were able to uh, evade... I don't want to say evade capture. Evade capture. I'm wondering why. Like, I don't know if they wanted to go, like, tubing with a giant Coors can. Because, I mean, I get it. I would just like to ask, why not? Why Why wouldn't you steal that they were... for, a, for a moment? Just a moment in time, you know? You know. You know. You like get those feelings sometimes. a juxtaposition of Emily just listening to Only Time by Enya on top of the giant inflatable Coors can. Yes. Love oh, it. I love it. I like the description of the poster. Reminds me of, I've had a few things stolen in my day. Um, my gym bag, oddly enough, always gets stolen. My serotonin. 
<laughs> my dopamine. But um, it was, so my bag got stolen once, and I made this wanted poster for my bag. And oh my gosh, I can't remember. It said when something like this um, wanted purse last seen at the community forest. Actually, I don't even want it back. I hope the the purse strings strangle you and blah blah. A <laughs> little, little passive aggressive in that missing poster. It was very aggressive, actually. I love that. Okay, so before we deep dive, let's uh, let's have a word here from our sponsor. Learn more about the major stories happening in Fort St. John and beyond with Moose Talks. Host Dub Craig sits down with experts and leaders in our region to provide updates on major projects that impact Northeast BC. Listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. on 100.1 Moose FM or catch up wherever you get your podcasts. Go to energeticcity.ca slash moose talks for more information. Check out all of our podcasts. Go to energeticcity.ca slash podcasts. Now I'm going to bring the mood down because this is a sad case. Oh, boy. And it doesn't date too far back. In fact, it only happened seven years ago in Taylor, B.C. Oh, that's recent. According to the District of Taylor's website, Taylor, B.C., originally Taylor Flats, has been a part of the Peace Region for 90 years, and it's located on mile 35 of the Alaska Highway. On September 6, 2015, a man by the name of Kirk Morin's acts of kindness and generosity would lead him to tragedy. It was on that night that Kirk Morin, aged 51, a married father of four and grandfather, was in Taylor, B.C. when he met a young woman in need of assistance, Lisa Meal. Lisa was 26 years old at the time, and she was making her way by bike to Grand Prairie, Alberta, which is about two and a half hours drive from Taylor, B.C. Kirk offered to help her out. From what I've read and been told, he was known to be the man who'd give you the shirt off his back. It's always like really hard when you, you read about these, where it's always like these people that went out of their way to do something nice and this is this is the thanks they get yeah it's not oh this a-hole yeah. bleep, bleep bleep it's like oh we love him yeah he's a very nice guy it sounds like he's just genuinely trying to help a lady who you know she's young she's trying to bike to uh alberta which or yeah grand prairie which i would imagine is is quite the bit uh you know the jaunt if you will uh so it sounds like he is trying to do the the gentlemanly thing of just making sure that she gets to where she needs to go but little did he know that he was picking up a woman who was known to the criminal justice system for prior assault charges oh. and a history of stalking behaviors. According to court reports, Lisa had harassed a man by the name of Keith. She had a pattern of sending unwanted messages, leaving gifts for him at his workplace, and leaving messages for him at home. She had reportedly persisted in this behavior despite being asked by Keith to have a no-contact order with him. That sounds like love bombing. Yeah, it does. Yeah. She was also having a mental health crisis at the time and had been diagnosed with schizophrenia and she was not taking her prescribed medication. Oh, you got to do that. Yeah. This is not looking good, Emily. Yeah. I mean, like, spoiler alert, it's probably not going to be good because we're talking about it. But no, I don't I don't like this. I don't like where this is going. And what I don't know if I've said this to you before, but mental health, not our fault, but our responsibility. Yeah, I think I could agree with that because like, you know, if you if you don't know, sure. But once you do know, you do have that responsibility to, to take care of yourself, uh, for yourself, let alone others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Apparently, she was living in a Fort St. John homeless shelter at the time, and her mental health was taking a downturn. She was even heard speaking about cannibalism and worried others in the shelter were cannibals. Right. So it's not quite sounding like she's kind of grounded in reality. Not all, at all. Yeah. Okay. Alaska Highway News outlined the encounter the two had that night as follows. 
After meeting Kirk and requesting a ride, Lisa Meal anticipated only getting a ride to the top of the South Taylor Hill. However, Morn kept driving to a secluded area near the old Kiskatna Bridge, where the two talked over beer for several hours. They argued over Meal's desire to leave, and Morn's refusal to allow her is what the jurors heard. Remember, this is what's being told to the jury on behalf of Lisa. Right. We have no way of confirming this because the other party, uh, you know, he doesn't have a voice anymore. Exactly. Morin had been drinking throughout the day before meeting Meal, who became concerned that he was too drunk to continue driving, is what the jurors heard. Meal offered to drive the truck back to Taylor in exchange for sex, is what she told them as well. Okay. And you'll go, we'll go on further and you'll realize that this is not the case and she's painting a picture of him that um, is false. Once they arrived at the recreation center shortly after 10 p.m., the two continued to talk. Jurors heard Meal became increasingly frightened over Morin allegedly pulling a knife on her and holding it close to her face while talking about young women and taxidermy. The attack began a short time later. So she's already talking about cannibalism, uh, thinking people are talking about cannibalism, and then that's also being seen again here. Um taxidermy where she's thinking other people are saying these things when they're yeah. really not yeah i mean like obviously taxidermy is a little different but i don't i don't like where she's uh, where she's going with this because like i i don't know it just seems odd it doesn't get any better oh great what happened during the attack is outlined in court documents and it describes lisa meal striking kirk more than 50 times with a machete in a 20-minute attack that began in Morin's truck in the parking lot of Taylor, B.C., and portions of the attack were actually caught on surveillance video. It extended to the easement between Cherry Avenue and the Alaska Highway, where Morin was eventually found deceased. Was he found at the, the recreation center? Uh, no. So through, it was, I think the attack happened at the recreation center, okay. and then it carried on to Cherry Avenue. Oh, wow. So it's... An That's... outrageous overkill. Oh, yeah. I was about to say it. 50 times with a machete in 20 minutes? That's wild. And usually you only see that in cases where there's real personal vengeance, anger, and not in these stranger killings. Yeah, not Because they like, didn't know each other. Yeah, because like, you know, he's just driving and he sees a, you know, a lady biking and then he's like, you want to ride? Mm-hmm. That doesn't, yeah, I, I would say that that's, that's overkill. That's, that's upsetting. Oddly enough, Lisa was actually pulled over after this attack while she was driving Morin's truck. She was actually even wearing his overalls, too, at the time. Okay, so that doesn't line up immediately, because if you're, you know, I I don't know, I've never been in this situation, but I assume if somebody was coming at me and I felt the need to attack him 50 times in 20 minutes, I'm not going to stop and pull his overalls off and then steal his truck. Exactly, and we'll hear more about that during the court process as well. Okay. According to the Alaska Highway News, jurors heard Meal had returned to Morin's body several times to check his pulse and ensure that he was deceased. She was found wearing Morin's coveralls and had tried to move his body to dispose of it, as well as to wash away any blood in the parking lot. All right, that's weird. Evidence outlined in the subsequent trial depicted Lisa as having the means and the opportunity to flee if she was in fact fearful of her life as she claimed. Well, you're not going to, if you're scared for your life, you're not going to stop. And like, I don't know how many times you need to check if someone's dead. Usually if you don't find a heartbeat the first time, like you're probably safe. She had many opportunities to flee and she did not take them. And so they did not accept that this was self-defense as she wanted to claim at some point. But later telling her psychiatrist that she did intend to kill him and that the wounds were there with that in mind. 
Meal's defense called forensic psychiatrist Dr. David Morgan to the witness stand. According to the Alaska Highway News, Morgan testified that Meal suffered from grandiose delusions, including believing that she was the new Jesus coming to earth, adding she believed people were out to do her harm. Meal had stopped taking her medication shortly after being hospitalized following a suicide attempt in late 2014, and she was later released in early 2015. Oh, there it is. Morgan testified, once that antipsychotic was fully out of her body, she was exquisitely vulnerable to suffering a relapse in her illness. That is a really interesting way to phrase that. It's probably a way of saying... You're going to relapse. Exactly. Um, which, I mean, clear, I mean, I don't know the full story yet, but I'm kind of picking up that she might have relapsed. Uh, which, again, you know, no judgment to anybody with mental health concerns. But if you're not taking your medication and you know you have these tendencies, uh, you're not doing any you're not doing yourself any favors and you're not doing the people around you any favors. From what I've learned in some forensic uh, classes in university, if you have a mental health, um, if you have a mental illness, it doesn't make you prone to violence and crime. But if you have, say, schizophrenia um, as the mental health illness it does slightly increase that chance, especially if you're thinking a higher power is directing you. Uh, don't quote me. Not a forensic psychiatrist. So what was the outcome of the trial? She was actually found guilty of second degree murder. Oh, okay. That's probably, from what I've heard, that, that seems probably right. Yeah, and during her sentencing, I've read through some transcripts, and you can really see just how mentally unwell she was at this time. Oh, that's a shame. Which is, yeah. But not as much of a shame as... Oh, yeah, dying. no. I mean, like, I yeah. I, clearly, there there were people in this story that had it worse off than, than Miss Meal. And I will... I know I say some controversial things, but... Uh, yeah, no. The, I mean, what she did to this man is just unforgivable. Here's a snapshot of the court transcript at sentencing. Before the Honorable Mr. Justice Meeklem, Miss Meal was convicted by a jury of the second-degree murder of Mr. Kirk Morin, who Miss Meal killed. He only told me his name was Curtis. Please be quiet while I'm reading, ma'am. Whom Miss Meal killed on September 6th of 2015. The mandatory sentence for murder set out in the criminal code is life imprisonment. In the case of second-degree murder, S-745C of the criminal code says... Life imprisonment and then... In respect of a person who has been convicted of second-degree murder, that the person be sentenced to imprisonment for life without eligibility for parole until the person has served at least 10 years of the sentence or such greater number of years, not being more than 25 years And as, I also need everything else repeated because I didn't hear it again. I'm sorry, you will have to be quiet, ma'am. I'm not a ma'am, but... If you do not let me read this, we're going to have to deal with it in another fashion without you here. Okay, I just... I need for everything that happened earlier to happen all over again so that I can be present. I do not understand what you are saying. Well, when you're a child, you don't always absorb every single detail or opportunity that is granted to you for, for understanding purposes. You are saying that you are a child. I've been saying that I've been a child and I'm moving out of becoming a child. Ma'am, I asked you earlier to make any submissions that you wish to, and you said you had all, that it had all been said and that you do not wish to make any submissions. Do you wish to make some... Yeah, yeah, I... I'm just not always right on my first time. Do you wish to make some submissions that you have not made yet? I have plenty of submissions I'd like to make, but it's going to take approximately the rest of my life. Okay, that does not make any sense. Is there something you want to say right now? I'm here to prolong lives. This entity here that I'm in is here to prolong lives. Prevent 
bullshit. Okay, I this has been a sentencing hearing and you have chosen to represent yourself. You know that it is about eligibility for parole. It wasn't chosen for me, actually. It was designed by the creator. Okay, all right. In in any event, if you do not want to make submissions about the issue before the court right now, please just be silent while I read my decision. That's not possible. I speak everything that I believe in every way that I can. I, I speak... Okay, well, it is important that the record does not or does record what I am saying, and it will be confused if you are speaking over me, so... It's not confusing. What's confusing is how people think they feel. Excuse me just a minute. All right. I will start at the beginning again so we have a clean transcript of the reasons for sentencing. Ms. Meal was convicted by a jury of the second-degree murder of Mr. Kirk Morin, who Ms. Meal killed on September 6th of 2015. The mandatory sentence for murder set out in the criminal code is life imprisonment. In the case of second-degree murder, S-745C of the criminal code says, in respect of a person who has been convicted of second-degree murder, that the person be sentenced to imprisonment for life without eligibility for parole until the person has served at least 10 years of the sentence or such uh, such greater number of years, not being more than 25 years, as has been uh, substituted, therefore, pursuant to Section 745.4. Who was this woman, and why does she so savagely attack and murder Kirk? She appeared to have led a transient life, living in various cities such as Grand Prairie and Fort St. John. And over the years, Spencer, she had 47 different jobs. Dang. Yeah, that's a lot because she's in her 20s. What? Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, right. She's 26. Yep. So if you think about that, she's probably only been employable for like, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And at the time of the murder, she was actually unemployed. Oh, According to court transcripts, she was born in New Brunswick and adopted by Lynn Elliott and his wife when she was just a child. She lived with them until her adoptive mother passed away when she was four, and then her adoptive father remarried. How old? She was 26, right? So that's normally, I think, when schizophrenia kind of starts. Is it? Like, it, I know women in their 20s. Okay, women usually. in their 20s, yes. I'm going to fact check it, Yeah, this. fact check. It's more prevalent in males. Miss Meal describes her birth mother as suffering from schizophrenia and claims that her birth mother was experiencing thoughts of cannibalism, which is what led to Miss Meal being removed from her care as an infant, oh, which would definitely track with, you know, Lisa's future. Mm-hmm. She also retells stories of her childhood and of young adult life that's plagued with traumas of physical and sexual abuse. Now, there are many children and adults who suffer trauma that do not go on to commit offenses. Just to make that clear, we're not giving her an excuse. Yeah, no, there's no excuse for, for her behavior. Uh, so looking at it, schizophrenia, yeah, so it usually onsets. Uh, for men, it tends to be in the late teens, early mm-hmm. early 20s. Uh, but for women, it's the late 20s to early 30s. Okay. So around the time, I think, when her mom, uh, you know, uh, when she was kind of removed from the care of her mom. Yeah, that uh, would make sense. That would be kind of where, uh, you know, she was kind of removed from the from the care. And she appears estranged from her family and her other siblings as well. Mm, that's too bad. Court records state that Lisa Meal reports that she was diagnosed with schizophrenia in early 2015 while being hospitalized in Dawson Creek following a suicide attempt. Her doctor did confirm this diagnosis, but recalled that upon admission, she was very psychotic and did not believe in her diagnosis. Oh, dear. Upon being discharged from the hospital, she was still certified under the Mental Health Act and required to go to mental health services for appointments of injectable antipsychotic medication, but she was eventually decertified by a doctor in town 
and then at that time she ceased attending appointments and ceased taking her medications. She is currently incarcerated and in a court document I read that she's still refusing to accept her diagnosis and to take her medication. When you're in prison, can you like do they can the prison like force you to take your medication? Just just out of curiosity. I think that I've read somewhere that a court can mandate medication right especially maybe even for like a release it could be a part of your parole mm-hmm. you're required to take this um especially if it's an injectable antipsychotic med mm-hmm. you know they can prove that they've t- that you've taken it right so and that would make more sense yeah so you know second degree murder i'm not too uh familiar with with what that means prison time wise is she ever eligible for parole like is she oh. or is she going to be stuck in prison let for me, the rest of her well not stuck but is she going to be incarcerated for the rest of her life she's Oddly enough, um, a little tidbit about her incarceration is I know one of the people who were was part of her processing into uh, the public, the gener- gen pop, deciding, gen pop. Oh, okay. deciding where, where someone should go in the prison system. Right. Um, okay, let's see here. Uh, she will have no chance for parole for 14 years up to the mandatory minimum of 10 years. Okay. She's also banned from owning a firearm, crossbow, restricted weapon, ammunition, and explosive substances for the rest of her life. So, yeah. So, essentially, she's... Because uh, this happened, what, five, seven years ago? So, she's still got at least another four years before she could even think about being eligible for parole. And the terrifying thing about that is if she were granted parole... Are they going to be able to make her take her medication, which she clearly needs? Well, I mean, they're unable to get her to take it in prison, so I'm going to assume no. Can you tell me a little bit more about, about Kirk? You were kind of mentioning that he, you know, was was a very well-known, uh, generous man. I kind of want to know a little bit more about him because he is, honestly, he's the most important person in this story. Exactly. So, Morin, 51, a married father of four and a grandfather, operated a market garden before working in pipeline construction. Okay. He was a Métis heritage and a proud to hunt to feed his family. The day before his life was taken, he hugged both his grandbabies and went out to hunt and collect firewood for the upcoming winter. He didn't bring home any meat, but he did bring home the firewood for his family. According to CBC News, his friends remember him as a great friend with old school values who treated people with love and generosity. His daughter spoke fondly of her father, saying, My dad had a heart of gold. He was my hero and always will be. Me and my little brother, Jonathan, were my dad's world, and we would do everything with him. The last memory she has of him is of her and her little brother holding his hands at the funeral home, and he had band-aids on his hands. His face was covered, and his arm was covered as well from what the perpetrator did to him. Her dad's pipeline's friends lifted his face covering and said, My lord. He was mutilated. Her dad's face was unrecoverable from what happened to him. Holy shit. I know. And that's like that. That's a pipeline guy saying that. That's not like the average, but like, like, I don't know. I mean, obviously you've met a few pipeline guys. Like they don't normally like, like things will happen and they'll be like, ah, yeah, no, you're fine. But the fact that they looked at this guy and was like, oh shit. And it really goes to show just what you don't often hear about in the news or you don't even realize how bad it is. And you just read this headline, you read the story. But then when you get a detail like that, it hits home to what this unimaginable thing that happened to this awesome guy. Mm -hmm. Um, Thankfully, they raised about $3,000 in a GoFundMe for the family. Um, But like I said, we can't forget that these are real events and they happen to real people. 
the effects of that night still ripple on through with his loved ones today that still miss him dearly. Yeah, and it was, I mean, ultimately, it really wasn't that long ago. Like, they're, you know, the grandkids are still probably kids. Yes, exactly. Uh, and they're growing up in the area as well. Um, I did speak with his daughter, and she shared some beautiful memories and beautiful photos of him that I'll put up on uh, Instagram for everyone to kind of look back and, you know, to a place to just remember him by as well. Good. I'm glad that you uh, you were able to kind of make contact with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, my condolences to the family. It's This is something that's so unimaginable, and the fact that it happened in Taylor, no less, is just... It's mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody likes to do that. You know, that's always the true crime thing where they're like, it was a lovely neighborhood and this, these things never happened. And then, you know, when they do, it's like, holy crap. Yeah. Um, and not even like a, like a laugh, but like, oh my God. Like, and that, I think that's what somebody like, people, like how many people live in Taylor? Not that many. Under 2000. Yeah. So population of under 2000 you know, you're people. not expecting that in a, nope. in a community that size. And, you know, and it's the sad thing where. You know, if the stigma around schizophrenia was was less, then you know maybe she'd be less into doubt. I can't mm-hmm. say that. I don't know, but you know, it's difficult. I'm not trying to give her an excuse because she has none. This is disgusting what she did to this family, but and this man. But you know, it, it's sad. Where you just you know, my brain immediately goes to what well, what could have changed to to change this outcome. I mean, obviously she could have not picked up a machete and killed a man in cold blood. That was an option. And. The fact that it does happen to someone that was like, he's a gardener, he's a grandpa, he has like these beautiful memories with his kids. He's not just like the, oh, I have a grandpa. It's like, oh, we did all this stuff together and we went hunting. This was a family man. He wasn't able to bring us meat, but he did bring us firewood. Where it's it's these little things where he's doing these things for his family and just for his community of 2,000 people. Yep. You know? And you did touch on the mental health again there, Spencer. So I wanted to add, if anyone is suffering from mental health concerns, please reach out to someone or visit the resources that we're going to list on our Instagram page at secrets of the North underscore podcast or phone the Canadian Mental Health Association of British Columbia at 1-800-555-8222. I do want to reiterate, I mean, I have mental health problems who doesn't? Right. Uh, so, and, and, you know, I'm not saying, and, you know, especially for those folks with schizophrenia, please don't think that we're trying to, you know, say that this is what you will do this. You will not. Uh, but like Emily and I mentioned kind of earlier in the episode, you know, when you find out that you have these mental health concerns, it's your turn to then listen. Because mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know. If somebody for, that's a psychologist is like, hey, this is why you're feeling like that. I'm going to probably listen to them at first. Uh, you know, maybe sometimes you don't mesh with, uh, with your, uh, your, you know, your mental health professionals. That's fine. Move on, get a new one. Yeah, exactly. But you know, to believe that you don't have this, I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. You were taken away from your mother who had schizophrenia, who believed everybody was cannibals. Yeah. Uh, sorry. It, that apple tree that tracks. Yeah, no, exactly. Chip off the old block in not a fun way. And I get that it's, you know, it's something that affected her life clearly, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make what she did to Kirk okay. And, you know, 50 times, yeah, it's, that's overkill. Yeah. So I just wanted to end the episode with saying that to Kirk's family, we're incredibly sorry for your loss. I hope the memory of Kirk lives on for what, what good he brought to the community. Because, you know, this is, this is the, th- the sad thing when it comes to, to victims of these crimes is they often they get forgotten they're just oh yeah this person killed them or well, what's that's... portrayed in the news in the yep. news media and if we're seeing just what the jury uh the documents that are just outlining what the jury is being told mm-hmm. it's not the full story so i was so appreciated to talk to his daughter and 
hear these stories about him and it becomes more than just a news article that I'm reading. It becomes a story about someone's life. Yeah. Very sorry for your loss. I'm sorry that, you know, that, that your father and your grandfather was taken from you from this woman who she needed help and she did not seek it out. Mm-hmm. And that's all we're going to say. So hop on over to our Instagram page for more information on this crime and our list of references and resources, as well as some lovely photos of Kirk and his family. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know where to find us on Instagram, Secrets of the North underscore podcast. Uh, we're going to have all of those all of those resources. Well, that was uh, that was a heavy one. Yeah, that was yeah, sad. It was. Um, so I'm still working through my glass of uh, Northern Lights uh, Myrtolo blueberry wine. Mm, me too. I'm almost done mine. Yeah, it's really good. Yes. Um, it's quite nice. Carefully. Carefully. Good. You know mm-hmm. what? We only had one bottle. Uh, we're doing yes. pretty good. Um, what have you been up to? Uh, were you watching any, any cool documentaries, true crime wise? What am I watching? I finished, uh, Keep Sweet and Obey. Oh yeah. That one was quite upsetting. Uh, trigger warning on that one. Ooh, that's, that's an interesting story and a true story. Yeah, I know. Um, (laughs) Sinisterhood, my favorite podcast, one of them, uh, covered it quite a while ago. Oh man. So good. You need to listen to it. Uh, if you haven't, but, uh, the watcher episode is, is very good. Um, but no, I, I watched uh, keep sweet and obey. It's about the fundamentalist Mormon church, uh, in the eighties, Warren Jeffs. It was upsetting. Uh, cause essentially like his dad was, I mean, not much better. Uh, but then basically his dad died and was just like, I'm the Messiah. Also, we're gonna have a lot more children brides. And I'm like, okay. So yeah. Yeah, literally. Um, but it's, it's difficult with those. Because when your whole family is part of it, and then once you leave, your family can't talk to you, it kind of makes sense why these people stay. Oh, 1,000%. Mm-hmm. Well, that is the Kirk Morin episode. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, again, a huge thank you to Kirk Morin's family, because I can't imagine what it's like to lose a loved one in this in this way, and then also have a random freaking podcast reach out exactly. to you and be like, we're going to talk to you about the worst thing that happened in your life. Apparently, um, there was one other podcast that did... Uh, talk about this um and they didn't even consult the family at all and so they were a little bit blindsided and i think that really was hurtful for them so yeah so that's uh we'll talk uh if you listen to our previous episode uh about true crime culture i think that that is one of those things that's really important you need to be talking to somebody who is personally affected because then you uh, then you know the full story yeah um, but anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. Feel free to uh, check us out on Instagram at Secrets of the North underscore podcast. I am uh, SP Hall underscore 97 at Instagram. Emily, where can I harass you on Instagram if I am looking to get some more Emily content? In my butt. Okay. Nice. I will do it. Good. Uh, but for the average person on Instagram. The average person would go to E T O. T H E underscore G E E E to the G in my butt. That's where they go. The in the butt part is silent and also not typed. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And, you know, as always, uh, if you have any secrets you want to send us Mm -hmm. or suggestions for crimes that happened in this area that maybe are not on our radar, um, feel free to hit us up on Instagram. We also have a page on energeticcity.ca slash podcasts, uh, and you can reach us through there. 
can also shoot me an email hmm. it's around i love that for us send a smoke signal don't do that i can't read those um Neither. also with the amount of mild, wildfire smoke around i can't even oh. who knows uh, all right time. well thank you so much for listening and uh take care until next uh next two weeks we'll, we'll okay. talk to you again in uh, bye-bye bye bye-bye Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.